0: There we are, should be good to go, it's exciting, I've had three weeks off preaching, which feels like like a mini holiday in some way, so I'm glad to be back in the thing, we'll see how rusty we are as we go. Um, for those of you who are just tuning in, uh, we have been in a sermon series for the last month or so, which ends today, so today marks uh, the end of an era, ever a sense, and end of a series at the very least. Next week, what's going to happen in, in our in our time in the Word together is that we're going to be picking up the Book of Romans again, which we've been making our way through more or less for the last about two and a half years. Uh, and this next sort of section of time that we spend in the Book of Romans is going to bring us to the end of the Book of Romans. How significant is that? So that's going to need celebrating. There's, there's an idea flying around at the office right now that maybe the last week of that series, just before we get to Easter, we might do a combined service, though... Judging by this morning, maybe that's not such a great idea. Unless we put seats on the stage, maybe. Um, would you? Would you? As, if you? If you sit on the seats on the stage though, you've got to stand up every now and then and yes, amen. And then sit down. Just to set the agenda for everyone else. Um, and maybe we'll do like a like a we'll bring a bring a lunch celebration, everyone hang around after the service and we'll eat together. Um, Official announcements will follow, but that's the plan as it speaks, because that's very exciting. Um, and after that, I mean, that that takes us into Easter. That's coming around the corner already. How did that happen? But before we get there, we've got some uh, some work to do. We've got to finish up where we have been. We've been making our way through this series called Core, where we have been talking about those values which are a description of the core heartbeat of our church, really. Things that are very important here. Things that are, as, as we've got to know them, hopefully important in every church on the planet because they are core to the concept of Christianity and church. We've heard about gospel-centeredness as a principle. And then flowing out from the gospel as center, we've heard about the discipleship which the gospel creates, Uh, And then last week, we heard about the kind of community that the gospel brings into existence. Today, we turn to our last concept, which is the value of gospel-centered mission. Gospel-centered mission. This word, mission, it's important for us to understand because it can be misunderstood. Uh, It has become controversial in certain corners. It's still an important word for us to use. Uh, Mission simply comes from the Latin root, missio which is their word for sending, and it appears in a whole bunch of different words in English. For example, a missile is an object which I have sent in your direction. And hopefully none of that will be happening this morning whilst I speak. To have a mission means that we have been sent to accomplish a purpose. And specifically, gospel-centered mission, if we had to define it, gospel-centered mission is the belief that the good news of Jesus which saves us also sends us into the world to join in God's mission. Gospel-centred mission is the belief that the good news of Jesus which saves us also sends us into the world to join in God's mission. The principle is that the gospel which creates life in us also does, at the same time as rescuing us, it sets us apart for a special purpose. This is a thing which is true of Of all Christians, not just some Christians, one of the things which happens when somebody becomes a Christian is that their life comes to have a new, higher purpose. We no longer live for ourselves as Christians. No, we live for God. Our life comes to be about joining in on what God is doing in the world, which makes this one of those funny messages, especially if you're visiting here today and you are not yet a Christian. You're you're about to listen to a whole sermon about how we would like to convert you. I love that. I love that. Um, I had a friend who used to ask me every now and then, Matt, are you secretly trying to convert you? And I would respond by saying, not secretly. It's not a secret. We want you to become a Christian and to receive all the blessings that come along with that. We want that for everybody on the entire planet. We would have to hate you to not want that for you, considering what is at stake. And so we are quite content to speak publicly about our mission in the world. To take a look at this, why don't we open up our Bibles to the Gospel of John. Our main passage for today is going to be in John chapter 20. The events of John 20 are taking place that we're reading about immediately after the resurrection. So we're there at the first Easter. Jesus has been crucified and died, has been in the tomb for three days, And now here we are on the third day, Easter Sunday, when Jesus rose again from the dead. The women amongst his disciples from Galilee, including Mary Magdalene, are the first to see the empty tomb. Not long after them, some of the apostles come and see, and the whole lot of them are left bewildered. Do they dare hope? How emotionally confusing that day would have been As it progressed, hour after hour, waiting for a resolution of that tension, do we dare hope? The worst has happened, and now it seems that the the best thing imaginable has happened, but it's too good to be true. How do we get our heads around the resurrection? We pick up the story in verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but every now and again, I find that the Bible understates its case in a way which is quite amusing. After 40 days of fasting, we are told, elsewhere, Jesus was hungry. These disciples have watched their Lord die. And upon seeing him again, after his literal resurrection from the dead, we are told, they were glad. It could be said, that they thought his literal resurrection from the dead was something of a big deal, which is fair enough, I suppose. It seems reasonable. Verse 21. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so, I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. And we'll stop there. This passage has often been called John's Great Commission. In other words, the, the content of the interaction that we just read about, described here by the Apostle John, seems to be a retelling of the same events that the Gospel of Matthew describes in a, passion known as, in a, in a passage known as the Great Commission. It's where Jesus, having risen from the dead, commissions his disciples for their upcoming mission in the wake of of his resurrection. The wording is different enough between the two accounts that it is worth reading the second because it fills in some different details. Uh, We'll narrowly stick to verses 18 to 20 of Matthew 28, which say this. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. Put together, all of this means that Jesus has a mission for his church. We, you and I, have been sent by Jesus into the world in order to accomplish something. If you are a Christian, your life is, has a God-ordained purpose here on the earth. If you are not yet a Christian, this is here to help you understand what it means to be one. If you choose to follow Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, this is part of that package. This is part of what it means. You no longer live for the same purpose that you lived for. Before you met Him, you have a new purpose. Perhaps some of you here today have felt that your life up until now hasn't had much in the way of purpose. It's felt a bit aimless. And so Jesus having a purpose for you to accomplish sounds like pretty good news. Perhaps your life right now is being lived for a different purpose, a different mission. And so Jesus' call to abandon that and take up his is quite confronting. Following Jesus might mean losing something so that you can gain something better. There are three questions that we are going to ask and answer today, which help us get at what this mission is all about. You can write them down in advance if you are a note taker, and the three questions are these. Firstly, what is the mission of God? Secondly, what is the mission of the church? And lastly, what does mission mean for me? Let's get stuck in. What is the mission of God? In John's commission, in John 20, where we we began today, we heard Jesus begin talking with these words. As the Father has sent me. As the Father has sent me. It's very clear that Jesus understood himself as having been sent into this world by the Father, which means that Jesus was on a mission. He had been sent, had He not. Jesus understood Himself as being on a mission. And if we are going to understand what the mission of the church is, we first need to come to terms with what the mission of God is in this world. God is on a mission. God wants to accomplish something in this world And in order to achieve that end, he has sent his Son. And then not long after the resurrection, the Father and the Son together have now sent the Spirit into the world to continue that same mission. And what is it that the Son and the Spirit have been sent in order to achieve? There are a number of places that we could look where it is explained for us. Here's a selection. John 12, 46 says this, Jesus speaking. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Why has Jesus been sent? Why has he come? As light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. The Apostle Paul, teaching on it in First Timothy, said this, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But perhaps because of last week's sermon in which we saw heaven described through the imagery of the wedding feast when Jesus is finally united with his bride, the church, why don't we look at this uh, parable by Jesus in Luke Luke chapter 14, which describes the Father leading the mission to create this wedding feast. Luke 14, verse 16. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet, and invited many and at the time for the banquet we you understand what, what Jesus, when Jesus is talking about the banquet we know what he means we've just we've just been taught about that so well last week at the time for the banquet he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited come for everything is now ready but they all alike began to make excuses the first said to him I have bought a field and I must go out and see it please have me excused two things about that one If you've ever decided not to go to a wedding for a reason of that calibre, you will cause offence, will you not? Secondly, none of us have ever met a person who, for the sake of their career, has decided not to pursue God. Sarcasm, that's sarcasm, if you missed it. He knows us. That's an excuse. It's not a good one. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. It's part work, it's part hobby, I reckon. What do you do with five yoke of oxen? It's like buying a hot rod, I suppose. It's slower and smellier. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Oh, brother, he's one of those. That happens, doesn't it? If I keep going, I'll get in trouble. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. And then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be full. This is the heartbeat of our God. This is the thing driving his activity in the world today. Jesus has said it elsewhere. He wants us to be with him so that where I am, there you may also be. This is the mission of God. Throughout the Bible it is said again and again, I will be with you as your God and you will be my people and I will make my dwelling among you and with you. Are we starting to get the picture of what God is trying to accomplish in the world? God is building a people for himself, for his very own. Called out from the darkness of this broken world, called away from their sin which has separated them from him and he is calling them into his family, into his presence, into his home, that it may be filled. He is not only redeeming these people but he is also along with them redeeming the whole of creation. He is making all things new so that there will be a suitable place for him to live with his people forever. But that. Togetherness is the goal. The God of heaven has sent His Son into the world in order to accomplish this end. The cross is at the centre of the life of Jesus. It is the crux of the whole of human history. It was at the cross that Jesus made atonement for us and now having accomplished that, He is calling us in. Come. Come in. Come and be reconciled to God, is his cry. Not just you. This is God's main agenda for your life. This is what he wants from you to be in a right relationship with you, but not just you, with the many. With the many. Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be full. This is the mission that God is on. It's a rescue mission. The mission of God is creating the church, it's us. We are the result of God's mission. It is all people who will ever come, all who place their faith in Jesus and are reconciled to God through Him. God's plan is to turn imperfect, broken, wayward, stubborn, silly, you and me into the bride, made ready, without spot or wrinkle, or blemish, to present to the Son on that day. So that where I am, there you may also be. That's what God is doing. It turns out, unsurprisingly, that the Gospel, the good news about Jesus, is the centre of God's mission. And so it shouldn't surprise us then, that when we turn to the next question, the answers are related. If that's what the mission of God is, then what do we discover is the mission of his church? It's a strange thing to to describe. If you think about it for just a moment, the church is having a mission. If Jesus has been sent to create the church, that's the mission. Why would the church also have a mission? Does the bride get sent to create the bride? Yes. This is how Jesus says it in today's passage. Even so, I am sending you. Even so, I am sending you. There's a language device being used here. It comes up a number of times in the Bible. It's helpful to recognize. It's always there when we see the pairing of the words as and so. As and so. It comes up a number of times. Here's the pairing from our passage. As the Father has sent me, even so, I am sending you. You see that? When an idea is framed like this, what it's communicating to us is that the word as should be understood to mean in the same way as, in the same way as I have been sent, even so I am sending you, that's what it means. In like manner, there is an essential connection between the way that Jesus was sent and the way in which we are sent. There is a connection between the reason that Jesus was sent and the reason that we have been sent. What is that connection? The connection is that we have been sent in the same manner and for the same purpose. We have been sent in the same manner that Jesus was sent. How was Jesus sent? Jesus being sent into the world means he took on flesh, that he became one of us and drew near to us in a way which we could see and understand. He came in such a way that He could identify with us in our weakness. He didn't descend to the clouds with His eternal glory and announce to us the good news from a distance in case, ooh, one of them touched me. And now the church has been sent in the same manner, in the same way. We are not... As sent ones, to remain completely separate from the world. and by that I mean we are not to cut ourselves off and live like hermits. Our mission is not be far from people and love judgment grenades over the walls every now and then from a distance. No, we are like Jesus, to draw near to the world as incarnational embodiments of God's love. For the world, to draw near to people and love them with God's own love. Jesus was in the world, but was without sin. That is how we are to conduct ourselves whilst on mission. And by the way, that's actually really hard. There's a distortion on either side of that perfect balance, and as is so often the case, living out the distorted exaggerations is easier than maintaining the perfect imbalance that we see in Jesus it's really easy to remove yourself from the world. There have been movements throughout church history that have done this. The Amish in America are a famous example, but there's many more. In fact, I sometimes have a secret desire for our church. I I, I don't know if I say this out loud very often. I actually hate living in the city. It's not to my tastes. It's expensive here. But I love living my life with all of you and so sometimes I daydream about us all together at the same time selling up in the city and going to live in some small town outside of Esk together you smell them while I'm cooking like this it's it's a a good dream we get to keep our community but gain the bush it's win-win and the lifestyle that it brings is the dream things are cheaper out there life has better balance there's plenty of room so we can grow our own food and eat healthy. We could even pool our resources together and buy a kind of compound for the church to use. <laughs> Put a big old fence around it, keep it safe, raise a wire on the top, keep out the vandals. Maybe if we, just, just to be certain that we can all recognize each other and where we live, we can all paint our houses the same colors so that we kind of visibly become the church in that small community. And you can all start calling me things like the leader. <laughs> I can be both pastor and mayor. It's a bit of a promotion for me. I have finally got a career ladder to climb. Maybe, look, maybe we can even get a uniform and all wear the same clothes, just, just to make sure. And with a, small, with, a small, with a small pool of people like that, I'll probably have to start arranging marriages to keep things going <laughs> and um, make sure that that doesn't get too complicated. It's gonna be great, it's gonna be great. Um, If you would like to contribute to that vision, just uh, write a note, stick it in the offering box, and we'll start taking votes after the morning. Actually, we were joking about this with our small group one week, um, because I actually do talk about this uh, uncomfortably often. And uh, Jared uh, came up with a great name for our new church. We're going to be called the first church of the new apostolic age. So it's got a good ring to it, doesn't it? No. No, Matt. Jesus has not removed us from the world yet. That is not how we are to live. That is a distortion, fortunately. Or unfortunately, depending on your point of view. The other distortion is really too easy as well, isn't it? It it is easy to be like the world. All you need to do is just keep living the life you lived before you met Jesus and carry on in that direction. Do what your neighbours do. Fit in, live for the same goals that everybody else is living for. If you financially prioritize what they prioritize, you just need to morally stay up to date and and quite frankly, it's the current year and so it's about time. Go to the same parties, act like everyone else acts. When consuming media, just, just let the same content go into your eyes and into your soul without distinction. Live for this life. Have Jesus be the thing on the side of your life, perhaps a a, a nice comfort in times of need or a, a ticket to heaven, a kind of certainty for when you die, but other than for a few hours on Sunday and maybe a Bible study, just get on with fitting in. Isn't that so easy to do? It's nice to be normal. But in the world, yet not of the world, carries with it a permanent tension of being in a place where you don't belong, of being ambassadors for another kingdom, of being exiles and aliens and strangers, of being just like Jesus was in this fallen world. In the same manner that he was sent, we have been sent, and we have been sent with the same purpose. Jesus was sent into this world to save Sinners. Jesus had a gospel mission and so now, so do we. That's why the commission in Matthew is so helpful. It spells it out so clearly. Go into the world and make disciples. That's the commission. That's the job. That's the mission we have been sent on. That is the purpose. Think about it with me. Everything else about the life of faith, you will be able to do in heaven, but there you will do it better and enjoy it more. There's lots of things that the life of faith brings into existence in our lives. Chief among them, enjoying God and worshiping Him. We will do that in heaven and we will be better at it. We will do it without the presence of sin and we will do it face to face with Him, beholding His glory in a way which we are yet to be able to even imagine. We can do that there. What about like our work ethic? We work hard, we do all things as for the Lord. You're going to do that in heaven and be better at it. Not only will you be free from the sin which takes work and turns it into a thing which we use for selfish gain, but we'll be free from the curse, the thorns and the thistles and the pain of a ground which hates us. As Christians, we want to live in gospel community. Gospel community will be better in heaven. Have you ever been friends with a sinless person? Jesus himself is the one. In gospel community in heaven, we'll all be sinless. That's better, in heaven. But this mission which we have been given, that is here and now, it has a finish date. This doesn't continue on the other side of glory. If it wasn't for this thing, then the moment that you believed, God may as well have teleported you straight to the next thing. We are here because we have a job to do. There is a purpose to your living with this tension. And if that is true, then it means that a life lived for God is a life lived with a purpose. I have a role to play in this world that matters and we all share in that together. It's a rescue mission Our mission brings blessing and life to those we rescue. Have you ever seen it? Have you ever been there? Have you prayed with someone who has just found faith for the first time? Have you experienced it? Have you been there with someone as they crossed over from spiritual death to life? Have you raised your children to know Jesus and watched as they come alive in Him? Soon you too. Have you shared someone else's joy that God could love them? Yes, even them. And seen them be surprised to be welcome? It is the joy of joys. If you are here today as a Christian, there was a day when someone felt that over you. It's God's own joy. It's the joy of heaven at the lost sheep coming home. It is the kind of memory that is life-defining. It stays with us. They're hard to forget. Jesus has been sent to bring that about. And now he has sent you. He has sent you. Which brings us to our last question. What does mission mean for me? Now, if you, if you were like me, you've been listening through all of this and you've thought to yourself, it sounds great, it sounds really exciting, there's nothing wrong with the mission, it's a good mission. It's better than what I was going to do with my life anyway. I was just going to start a collection of railways. There's a problem. I can't do it. You feel that? I can't do it. It's a great mission. It's beyond me. I am not worthy of representing Jesus to others. I am unable to change people's hearts. Quite frankly, I'm a bit of a mess. And I keep getting everything wrong. What's more, I'm just plain scared. It's frightening. I have some good news for you. Because the next part goes like this. Verse 22. When he had said this, he breathed on them, and he said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now we should should be a little bit surprised to read that, because the Holy Spirit didn't come to make his home in Christians until a little bit later on. It wasn't until Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit first began to indwelled disciples of Jesus. No, that's not what's happening here when Jesus interacts with them in John. It seems to be more like Jesus is giving them a symbol, a sort of a prophetic action, by which they could understand what was about to happen to them not very long later. He's, he's preparing them for what's about to come. What's about to come is that on the day of Pentecost, as they wait in the upper room together, they would all be filled with the Spirit of God and transformed, which is now, surprise of surprises, what happens to all Christians when we come to faith? We become Spirit-filled people, and so Jesus' commission, be filled with the Spirit. The word Spirit can also be translated breath. This is why Jesus blows on them. It's the the breath of God, the Spirit of God. It's another name for him. When we become Christians, God takes up Residence in us in the same way that air fills your lungs, and by the Spirit He starts his work of transformation and empowerment in you. Christianity is supernatural. It's miraculous. It's not a set of rational ideas, it's a transformation. And that's why this is good news. If the mission, if the message was, you have a mission to achieve, it is your job to do it. Go make it happen, and then after you've achieved it, bring the results to God like a gift and say, Look what I've done for you. That would be terrifying. It would be bad news because it's impossible. That is not the message. The important thing to understand is that just because we now have this mission, it doesn't mean that God has ceased from his mission. God has not stopped doing it himself. No, 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 no. That's not the picture. The picture is that God is still on his mission, and now we have been included in the process, not as his replacements, but as gracious participants. You aren't being included because God needs you, but because he wants you. Paul calls it gospel partnership in the book of Philippians. God is on his mission. And now you, Christian, get to work with him and watch and share in the joy of him accomplishing his highest goals. The problem of your inability or your unsuitability or your lack are his problems. They're not yours to carry and he's just fine with them. He's got a plan for that too. He's got that covered. The power, it's his power. You can't change hearts. You're right. He can. The worthiness is His worthiness. Christ is in you. You have been made worthy. The message, it's His message. You don't have to create it. You don't have to think of it. It already exists. The mission is not about you. It's about Him, which means that when you enter into relationship with Christ, you now have the promise the unshakable certainty of a life lived with greater effect in this world than could possibly be produced on your own. The mission will succeed. We've read the end of the story. It will not fail. It's said again well in the commission, the way it's framed in Matthew. Sandwich between the command to make disciples are two promises from Jesus. The first is this All authority in heaven and on earth belongs to me. It's about Jesus. All authority in heaven and on earth belongs to me. And then the last promise, And I am with you until the end. That is good news. That is compelling. That is how I want to use my life. That is where the courage comes from. We are on the winning side and we will never go alone. And so now God invites you in. Do you hear his voice today? Come. Come and be reconciled to me and I will give you newness of life your life which has once been lived for a certain set of purposes and goals now in christ has a higher purpose and a higher goal come says god having been reconciled to me come and join in on my activity in this world and share in the joy of watching as I win my lost ones and bring them home. Share in the pleasure of watching as his house is filled. Be there as both a resident and by his grace a contributor. What better use is there for this life? Let's pray. Our Father, before we met you, we could not have comprehended why any of that would be a good thing. How could we have understood? But having met you, having having discovered who you are, how great and how wonderful, how merciful and gracious you are, our hearts and our desires are being transformed. You're the best thing in life, our God. And there's none like you. To be near to you is our joy of joys. It's, it's so wonderful that it doesn't matter how long we do this, we're still kind of surprised because it, it's too good to be true. Father, we want that for everyone It is our prayer this morning, our God, that you would, you would change the course of this nation, not through politics, not through wise living, through faith, as the many and not the few meet the God who made them and come to trust in him. It would, it would be our unimaginable joy for the city of Brisbane to become like the city of Ephesus did, where nobody here had failed to hear of the great work that you were doing through your church, where the name of Jesus was on the lips of everyone. Father, rescue, we pray. Have mercy on us. Do not let let us continue in the same direction that we have been heading in as we march towards destruction, but turn our hearts towards you. Father, I freely confess my sin, my lack of faith, and my shame, even at times, being seen with you in public. We ask that you would not hold our sins against us and we know that you will not. You would soften us. You would bring us to repentance and that that that, that healing work would overflow into our communities, our suburbs, our streets, our workplaces. Give us a courage and a boldness that goes beyond who we are minister through us in power Father we pray today for our lost family members who have yet to believe that you would intervene in their life and call them home for mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters we pray today Lord for our colleagues and our housemates and our friends who are far from you show your mercy to them God and bring them near Father Make it so that your house is full. Let us see that in our day, we pray. Amen. Thanks, Matt.